uh, 1 Corinthians 14, starting verse 26. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Going to go to the end of the chapter. And if you just look ahead, friends, we are, we are kind of nearing the end very quickly to 1 Corinthians. And so I know many of you are like, sweet, you know what I mean? And so, but listen, uh, we're, we're going to start something new this fall. I want to make you aware of something. The last Sunday of August, we have a, a deacon ordination. And we've got a slew of deacons that are going to be ordinated on that day. And so it's going to be on Sunday morning. It's going to be a, a really unique service. And uh, I just want to encourage you to be here. And our deacons do a lot. And they are they're servants to our church. That's what a deacon is. It's a, a servant to serve. The kononos, the word deacon is a servant. And our deacons really do serve our community. They serve our church very well. And you don't want to miss this service. And uh, they, it'll be a blessing, I know, to each of us. And so just making you aware of that, last Sunday of August. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the day. We thank you for the many blessings that you have given to us. And uh, Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this place and, and to worship you. I thank you for just the many aspects of it, Lord, that we have. And in a, in a, on a Sunday morning, we have baptisms, we have offerings, we have the Lord's Supper, not today, but often, and, and we have songs that are being sung and, and prayers that are being lifted up and, and testimonies that are being given and, and the word that's being preached. And, and Father, now as we're here, as we're studying your word, as we open up the scriptures and we're looking at your word, Father, I pray that you would just guide us and direct us and allow for us to, to understand what it is that you want us to do, who it is that you want us to be. Father, forgive us, Lord, when we come up short. And I, I recognize that, that I have a part in this. And so, Father, if you would, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the, the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that bring honor and glory to your name in a way that bring sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal and their relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never accepted Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day they admit that they're a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, if that would happen today, we'd give you all the honor and all the glory. Lord, I thank you that you're here, that you're in our midst. And Father, I know that today's passage of Scripture is not the easiest, and it's not... Not everybody's going to agree on it, but Father, I pray, Lord, that you would receive the honor and glory from today's service, that you would speak to us each in a, in a way that we understand and we know that this is from you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd guide my words today and allow for me to preach in a manner that would bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Hey, uh, have you ever met an orderly person? Do you, have, do you have orderly people around you? You know, an orderly person is neat. They're tidy. They keep their affairs in order. We have some orderly people on staff, some that are not so orderly, but a lot of, a lot of our staff is very orderly. And I, I kind of hired people on our staff to be orderly because I'm not the most orderly person. And so 
But like I, I appreciate an orderly person. You know, they, they are uh, detail-oriented. They're great with tasks. They, if you ask them to paint something, their lines are right in order. I mean, they just do a very good job, you know. And painting is an important task of being on staff at any church. Just to, they don't teach you that in seminary, do they? But it's part of the, t- I mean, like, you should get a paintbrush when you graduate. You know, it's part of the job. I used to have a pastor friend. He would come into my office back in Indiana, and I, w- I would have a picture that was just like a slightly off, you know what I mean? And he would come in and he would fix it, you know what I mean? And I would, if I knew it was coming, I would just make sure all of them were just a little bit off just to kind of mess with them a little bit. But I, I'm not like my wife, we've been married for 14 years, and she always asked me to pick up my socks on, off the bedroom floor. Not like I still haven't learned. I, I don't have the my affairs in order. You know what I mean? Like I, I haven't planned my funeral. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things I just, we're just going to ride with, by the seat of our pants and let it happen, you know? And so in 1992, a, a great movie came out, uh, A Few Good Men. Just a really, I, I think it's just a great movie. I, I like Tom Cruise. I think he's a good actor. Some of you despise him. I know he's a little crazy, but so is 99.9% of all of Hollywood friends. And so, but I, I think it's a good movie. And uh, one of the most iconic scenes that, from that movie is where Tom Cruise is, you know, he's in the courtroom and Jack Nicholson's on the stand. And, the, and, and you know, Tom Cruise knows that in order for, him to get Jack Nicholson to admit that he ordered the code red. He's got to get him riled up, right? And so he's, he's trying to do this, right? He's saying, hey, uh, you ordered the code red. You doctor the logbook. You course the doctor. Now I want to know, did you order the code red? All right? And this is what Jack Nicholson you want answers? That's my Jack Nicholson at First Nation. <laughs> you want answers? I'm entitled to him, he says. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle right? it. And all the while this is going on, four different people are speaking. Kevin Bacon's speaking. Jack Nicholson's speaking. Tom Cruise is talking. And the judge is like in the background saying, hey, stop talking. You don't have to answer this question. You're in contempt. You're going to be, I mean, like this, like all he's asking for is what? order. He wants order in his courtroom. And I think like, if, if we could kind of just look at this passage of scripture, kind of like a court, I mean, here Paul is in the background saying, hey, order. He's looking at the services in Corinth and he's saying, hey, or, stop talking so much, please. If this, there's a, there should be order in the service, in the worship service. When you gather together, it should be done or it should be neat, it should be tidy, it should be planned, it should be, I mean, you should have an idea of where you're going. There should be some sort of consistency from the start of it to the end of it. It should be orderly. And it wasn't. If we look at the history of the church in Corinth, it was dysfunctional. And that includes the worship service. Listen to what Paul tells them. In verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. 
Did you hear what Paul said here? What then, brothers? Here's what I want you to do, is what he says. When you come together, one person is to have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a talk, interpretation. Some of your translations may say edification, that these things are, are to be done for the, the building up. That's, that's all that is, okay? It's a fancy word for the building up of believers. When we gather together, we've talked about this for the last few chapters. Pastor Ken did a phenomenal job last week of building, of, of, under, of getting us to understand what it means to, to build each other up and what Paul is trying to, to say here. And what Paul is saying to the church is, brothers, is what you're doing and what you've been doing really all that effective? I mean, when people get up and speak and they, and is it, is it really all that effective? Can't you think of something better to do than what you're doing right now? James and Mary have been helping us clean the church here over the last few weeks. And, and one of the things that Mary says is that I, I do everything 100% for the Lord. If I'm doing it for the Lord, I'm doing the very best that I can. And I think what Paul is saying here is like, can't you find a better way? I mean, this is for our Lord. The God that we worship, the God that saved us from our, I mean, can't we find a a better way to do this? A way that's going to honor God more effectively than what you're doing right now? We're here for a reason, friends. We are to worship the Most High God, the God of all creation, the God of all glory. We are to worship Him. There's a reason we gather. God deserves our best. Amen? The best of our resources, the best of our time, the best of our skills, the best of our planning, the best of us. Throughout the rest of this chapter, Paul is setting up guidelines for how the church should operate to remain orderly. Three guidelines I think he gives. The first guideline is regarding the use of tongues. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or three at most, and each and each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. Paul is telling the church that no more than two or three are to be speaking in tongues. No more than two or three during the worship service. Prior to this, it sounds like there was a lot more, does it not? And Paul is saying that speaking in tongues should be done for the good of others. This is not possible unless there is someone that is there to interpret. What amazes me about people who speak in tongues in today's world is that there is no interpretation. Oftentimes, if ever, I've never seen anybody speak in tongues and then have somebody interpret. Honestly, I wonder if half the time the people that are speaking in tongues even know what they're saying. If they can interpret for themselves. And Paul is saying, hey, if you cannot do this, if you cannot have interpretation alongside of the tongues, and he says in this past scripture, listen, don't discourage speaking in tongues. But what he does say is that there is no one that can interpret, don't do it. Speak to yourself, speak to God. There's nothing wrong with it, but rather make sure that there's interpretation. The historical context is that prophecies from this time were well known for having ambiguous messages. And the people would hear these ambiguous messages and they would leave and they would not understand it. 
They would not know truth. They would, they would leave and they would think, oh, well, maybe this is what it meant. Or maybe that's what it meant. And in reality, it meant A, and they're thinking it meant B or C. And so they're confused. And Paul said, hey, listen, we, we don't need you to, you're, you're having a hard enough time as it is. Scrap the confusion. Just get rid of it. Unless you have somebody that can bring some sort of unified message from God, unless you can speak in a heavenly language and, and somebody can explain to others what's being said, just stop. Paul doesn't want people that are attending the worship service to not know what people are saying. What good is it to speak in a language that no one can understand? Obviously, we know what Paul thinks about this. He tells them that no one can interpret that no one should be speaking in tongues. In the great words of the British spy, Austin Powers, <laughs> zip it, zip it. And that's hard to do, right? I mean, like, sometimes you're like, you want to say something. You want to get up and speak. You want to share what God has laid on your heart. And, like, you have this gift and that God has given it to you. And you want to share that with other people. And yet, Paul's saying, Zip it. Like, no. Restraint. Like, is it good for others? If what you're doing here is just to make yourself look good, if it's not for the building up of others, then why are we doing it? Like, we, there's a lot of really talented people in this church. There's a really lot of a, a talented people in the church, and yet we don't always need to see that talent every Sunday. Sometimes we just need to say, it's for another time. Another place. The second guideline is regarding prophecy. Let, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Here Paul is saying that there shouldn't be two or three prophets who are speaking. There should be two or three prophets that are speaking at each service, but no more. I mean, how blessed are y'all? I mean, you get one. I mean, like, that's just... But I, I kind of like this. I mean, if Ken and I kind of came up and we did a duo, you know what I mean? Like I preached for a little while, he preached for a little while. That would be, I mean, I read on my iPad earlier today, just right when I was sitting down, it's supposed to rain for the next hour. You all, you all don't want to go out in the rain, right? I mean, we could figure this out today, don't we think, Pastor Ken? I mean, we've got, he's got a message from the Lord. <laughs> Friends, I, I mean, let's think about this for a second. Like I, you know, part of what I do is I, I every week I, I study my commentary. I, I look at articles and I try to read and study, prepare for this. I mean, and like I, I learned how to do this through, through seminary, going to different schools and getting an education and, you know, and buying books. And, and it's, it's kind of embarrassing, right? And, and that wasn't the case then at this time. I mean, like they, this was, like they were living in the context of which we're talking about today. They were speaking the language in which we're studying today. And so like they... What these men were doing, they were coming up and they were sharing what we would consider a devotion. 
They were sharing about what God was teaching them in their lives at that time. Okay? They didn't, I mean, they didn't have this letter. Maybe they were sharing what Paul was saying to them, but at the heart of what they were doing, they were sharing what God was placing on their own hearts. It was from the heart. It meant something from, and it was an opportunity to encourage people, to encourage the church. It was an opportunity to teach them right from wrong. And so they weren't speaking for 30 or 40 or 50 minutes. They were speaking for maybe 10 each, 10 minutes each. I don't know how long they were speaking, but just think about this for a second. I mean, they're not trained professionals here. And so they would get up and they would speak. And Paul is saying here, listen, not everybody needs to come up and speak. Not, uh, not everybody needs to, when you come up and you preach and you share a message from the Lord, make sure that you're prepared, that you know what you're going to say. You know that it's going to be encouraging to others. It's going to be uplifting and it's going to teach them something that's going to build them up in their faith. Paul's giving them advice for the betterment of the church. It wasn't to bash on the speakers, but rather to bring some much-needed order in the life of the church. Every Sunday and Monday, friends, I want you to know that like, I, I, I go back on YouTube and I, I watch the service, and I, I'm kind of like a, a Monday morning quarterback. And I just, I, I'm like, I'm my harshest critic, okay? And even like on the service, I, I'm, I'm critical of this, critical of that. I make notes, and then, and then like on Monday during staff meeting, we all, every, every Monday morning, we talk about the service, Okay, and we try to, you know, listen, I mean, I, I've done this prior to like, you know, COVID. It was just, I got on my phone and I would record it. I, there wasn't video. Most churches didn't do video pre-COVID, but now everybody's a YouTube star. But it's just, I, you just try to make yourself improve on your mistakes, make yourself a little bit better and say, hey, we could do this better. We could be more effective here. And what Paul's saying here is, listen, you, you're here for the good of others. And like, you're doing this for the Lord. Make sure that you're giving your best. And, and if there's somebody here that wants to say something and correct you and, and help you out, listen to them. And, and it shouldn't just be one person that's running the show. And I, I'm so grateful that our church has... Uh, another pastor on staff, and I, I, I can't wait to have a third one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that, like, there's, that we're blessed to be able to have multiple men be able to come and preach God's word from the pulpit. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but last week I was blessed by Pastor Ken's preaching of God's word. I really was. I'm not the answer, friends. You know, I'm not the answer that you're looking for. God has been at work at Wyatt Park long before I got here, and he will be at work long before, long after I leave. God is the answer. Our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the answer. It's not one person. If you're putting your hope in me, let me tell you, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. You will forget about me very quickly. The moment that I leave here, you'll be like, man, praise the Lord. We're going to get, I mean, there will be somebody that will come in and do a phenomenal job. God has not just gifted one person to lead, to preach, to teach, 
to encourage. The third guideline is regarding women in the church. 33b, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. My wife does this every Sunday morning. And so I'm just going to practice it again here today. Let's take a deep breath for a second. Okay. Let's do it again because I know some of you ladies are getting angry. Okay. Let's look back at this text. Just for, let's just start there, okay? This is not the only time that Paul says to the church, be silent. He says it to the people that are speaking in tongues. And he says it to the people that are prophesying. Hey, be silent. No more than two or three. If there's not an interpreter, be silent. And if somebody else is speaking, zip it. Shut your mouth. All right? Be silent. It's a spiritual discipline, friends. Silence. You heard it here first. Okay? Now, here... Paul tells women, be silent in terms of prophecy. As we saw in chapter 11 of this book, men and women were both prophesying in the church in Corinth. And here Paul is attempting to put this to an end. Now, there's a lot of academic discussion about this text, you can imagine. Uh, one commentary that I read from David Garland, he has 20 different New Testament scholars that say that this text that this passage of Scripture from verses, you know, 20, 34 to 35 here is actually added on. It's not original to Paul. But let me just say this. I mean, like, people like, that you respect, Gordon Fee, men like, and Gordon Fee is maybe one of the top premier New Testament scholars around. But let me just say this. Every manuscript that we have, Okay, every Greek manuscript that there is, this, these verses are there. Okay, they're there, every single one of them. So we can't just say, hey, let's omit it. <laughs> That's a bad practice. Every manuscript that there is, these verses are present. So you say, let's just cut, it's not original, let's just cut it out. Well, where do we stop with that? What's the play? I mean, I think that this could be original and not offensive all at the same time. I disagree with Fee that this breaks the flow of the text. This text is about order of service. And I believe what's happening, and this is just from understanding the context of Scripture, is that there is a disorderly service. And we have... You have men that are coming up and they're sharing testimony of their life. And what's happening is a man speaking and a, a woman in the background, probably his wife, more than likely, right, is saying, hey, listen. And I don't say that as a joke. I really do believe that's the case here, okay? That, like, let's just say that I'm preaching on, hey, do not become overcome with anger. And my wife in her journal is saying, hey, you know what? 
June 5th, 2009, you were overcome with anger. Like, and she interrupts what I'm trying to say. Imagine just for a second what that would do to whatever, like, whatever I'm saying. Okay, it would just completely demolish my message. Is that good for others? Like, I, listen, there are times, friends, when I preach and I know that like, and I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll context it. Hey, I'm not the perfect example of this, okay? I haven't always done well with this. And there are times when God is calling you to preach something that you haven't mastered yourself. Amen? You ever teach a lesson where you're like, man, listen, I, I'm not there yet. And sometimes like, like instead of a, a woman getting up and saying, hey, listen, he's not doing that. I mean, domestic disputes happen, friends. They happen in the church. Not only domestic disputes, but just disputes in general. Paul doesn't want confusion. Again, our God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. And he, what he's saying here is, listen, if, if you have a, a question about what your husband is saying, here's an idea. Don't humiliate him in public. Find a place where you can go and you can talk to him in private, in your home, and ask these questions. I mean, doesn't that sound much more like Paul than saying, Hey, women, you, your voice doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. No, that's not, that's not Paul at all. I mean, Paul is radical when it comes to women in ministry, friends. He is for women in ministry. Okay, and God is for women in ministry. And God is for women having a voice in ministry. God's not in favor of disruption and confusion. He's not for bringing shame on to a person, but rather giving grace and favor and mercy, even when they don't deserve it. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual or should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul is asking for order in the church. Today, friends, we have, a, we have a business meeting after the church. You guys all are invited to attend. You know, our last business meeting, I think, broke like Baptist records. It was done in less than 10 minutes. You know, like that's just, that's impossible. That's an impossible task. I don't expect it to be that way today, but it might. We could, we, we could, I mean, don't you think so, Ben? We could make this happen, right? I mean, we could, but it, you know, those things happen because good things are happening at Wyatt Park Baptist Church. And the reason why we have 10-minute business meetings and there's no disorderly conduct or disruptions or, is because we all see God at work here. And we're like, hey, listen, we trust God's at work. We trust our leadership. We trust what God is doing. And 
We've all been in meetings, though, business meetings or committee meetings or <laughs> family meetings where that's not the case, where we're like, I don't know about that, Pastor Jeff. I mean, like, there's just, we've all been there. And that's okay. Sometimes we need, like, at a business meeting, that's the place where we say, you know what? I've got a question about this. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a concern. And you know what? We can handle your concerns. You, we can hand, and God can handle your concerns and your questions. There are, there's a time and a place for questions and concerns. And, and you know what? Pull people aside and say, listen, I don't know if this is... But right now, friends, our time of worship is for you. It's for you to be encouraged, to be uplifted. And it's a time for you to get your life in order. To look inwardly and say, you know what? I, I don't care about what Deacon Bob is doing or, or Sunday school Sally is doing. Like I, I, I need to look at my own life and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to be? What affairs of my life are out of order? And friends, in order for you to get in order, the best thing that you need, the, the, the very most important thing for you to do is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I mean, if you're trying to get your affairs in order and that's not there, that's the most important step that you take. That's the foundation for your life. And without it, everything else is in disarray. And if your life is in disarray, listen, there's probably a good reason for it. Jesus Christ isn't your Lord. Put your Lord to the test, friends. Put him to the test. Follow him with every facet of your life every facet of your life and see what happens. I mean, a lot of things that you worry about and concern about, they just kind of fall away. I can give you testimony and testimony of my own life and how I got myself in stupid situations and stupid situations. And I just said, you know what? What am I doing? It's because my own life, I didn't put, put Jesus Christ as number one. I allowed for my own wants and desires to take over. When you submit your life to the Lord, I guarantee you, the order will follow. Peace will follow. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for the, the many blessings that you've given to us. I thank you for your son Jesus, that you gave him to us. They came to this world, he died for our sins, and today he lives for us. Father, I, I thank you that we can have a relationship with you because of him, that we can have order in our life because of him. We can have stability, we can have peace, we can have life abundantly because of Jesus. Not because of something that we've done, but because of something that you did for us. And so, Father, I pray that today we don't look at others, but rather we look inwardly at ourselves and recognize that we need to get our life in order. And that starts with making a decision to follow Jesus. 
And for anybody here that has never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be that day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. And if there's a believer that's here that's just living in disarray, that's kind of wandered, that's has a life that's out of order, I pray, Lord, that you give them this opportunity today to recognize sin that is in their life and allow for them this opportunity to repent of it, to recognize sin and to run away, to turn what they're doing and walk the other direction. Lord Jesus, we love you. I pray all these things in your name. May you be honored and glorified in our decisions. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.